Well, good morning. What a time in his presence, huh? You guys are here. You didn't let daylight savings get you down. Well, maybe some of you did. And for those who aren't here yet, good thing it wasn't a work day. You'd be getting written up. But thank you for being faithful to just to be here. And um, we have on your seats this morning just Easter invite cards. There's also a little package that's going to be for later in the message, just as a little illustration. But those Easter cards are for you to hand out to somebody. Um, as you know, Easter is going to be April 4th. And we are going to believe that God is going to bring people to his house, people who have not yet been saved. And those Easter cards are for you to just pray over. Think of someone's name, and before you just hand it to them, take some time to pray for them this week. And just ask God to give you a strategic way, instead of just leaving it on their desk or leaving it in their box, to hand it to them personally and invite them to, to come and experience God's presence. Amen? We know that God is going to move mightily in our Easter service, and we're excited. And so we just want to give you guys a tool to help. It has all the information for other events, our Good Friday service, as well as our children's ministry um, outreach, uh, which will be the Saturday before Easter. So Saturday, April 3rd, we're going to have an awesome outreach. We're continuing to bring in candy. It's awesome. That bin is filling up. But God is not finished yet. Amen? Things are, things are crazy right now in our world. But God is not finished. He's only beginning. And we have to, we have to get excited for the things that God wants to do. Amen? Amen? Have you guys been enjoying the series through Revelation and the churches? Have you been learning a lot? It's nice to look at other people and see their faults, and then we can learn from them, right? And so that's what we have been doing. Um, as you know, we are in part seven of our series, if you can believe it. We're plowing away. We've got a couple more churches to go through. Um, we're going to pray before we go into the Word, but we do want to also um, just ask you guys to continue to pray for Pastors Richard and Lisa, who are away, just on a well-deserved vacation, a time of being away. We want to lift them up and just pray that this is their best vacation yet, that they just come back rested, they come back relaxed and, and ready to do what God wants to do. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to soften our hearts so that we can receive from him this morning. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you are doing in our church. We thank you even for the revelation class, God, and just the, the revelations that are coming from that, God. We pray this morning that you open every heart and mind. Father, that you would anoint us, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would come, make your word relevant. Help us to have understanding in your word. Help us to apply it to every situation that we're going through, Father. Your word is alive and it is active, God. And Lord, just by your spirit, come rest on us. Open us up to what you want to do and what you want to speak. And in your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. So Richard introduced all of the churches and just clarifying that these are real churches that we're studying. These are not metaphorical. These are not, you know, non-existent. These are actual, real, physical churches that Jesus was speaking to. He was making them ready to be an impact in the places that they were. And so um, we went from the almost perfect church, and then we moved to the suffering church. We moved to the tolerant church. We moved to the compromising church. And last week... We talked about the dead church, and we're not the dead church, are we? No, we are alive, and God is moving in and through us. And this morning, we're going to talk about the faithful church. We're going to be talking about the faithful church. 
Just to give a little bit of background, we're, uh, it's the Church of Philadelphia. No, this is not the Philadelphia Eagles. This is not Philly. This is the Church of Philadelphia. And one of the phrases, one of the things that Philadelphia means is, and you've heard this, is it's the city of what? Brotherly love. And that's what it means. That's what Philadelphia means. This was the youngest of the seven cities. How many young people do we have out there? Some of you are like, well, what's, what do you determine young? If you think you're young, you raise your hand. This was the youngest of the churches. The original purpose of this city was to make it a center for speaking Greek language, culture, and manners throughout the Asian province. It was a prosperous city. It commanded one of the greatest highways of the world. It was the gateway from one continent to another. It was known for its beautiful buildings. It was also known for its earthquakes. We know California is known for its earthquakes, right? This city was known for earthquakes, which means it always had frequent evacuations. But one of the things I want to focus on this morning is the fact that this was the youngest church. And this was the only church that Jesus had nothing bad to say about. Think about that. If you had to choose to be one of these seven churches, how many of you want to be the church that Jesus has nothing bad to say about? What I love, too, is that it's the youngest church. It's not the most seasoned It's not the one that's been there the longest. It's the church that is the youngest. And one of the most important highlights for this church was this, the purpose of this city was to make it a center for speaking Greek language, culture, and manners throughout the Asian province. So people recognized that if you could make an impact in this city, that you could make an impact in other nations in a secular way. They wanted to get their language in there. They wanted to get their manners in there, their way of life. And they thought if we could bring change in this city, because there was such a major highway that ran through it, that we could bring change to the surrounding nations. But how much more powerful for a church to be planted in this city? That if this church could be used powerfully, then guess what? The church could be the change, not only in this city, but in the surrounding nations. Amen? God has placed our church and positioned us where we are to be a change. Did you know that Providence at one time and still is up there is one of the most biblical, illiterate cities in the entire nation? Think about that. Think about how many cities there are just in the state of Rhode Island. And Providence is one of the most biblical, illiterate cities in the nation. We are positioned to be in a place to bring revival. We are positioned to be in a place to bring God's glory to where he's called us. And we have to learn how to be faithful this morning. We want to be the faithful church this morning. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what giftings you have, what skills you have, what your GPA was or is, how popular you were or are, how many people you know. It doesn't matter. If you are faithful to Jesus, he will use you to make an incredible impact that will last eternally. Sometimes this morning we have this small mindset that we can't make an impact for God. We look at our past. We look at the things we have. And then we bring it to God and say, it's not enough. But just like the song said, we have to learn to say, I'm not enough unless you come. Some people just stop and say, I'm not enough. And they put a period at the end of that. We have to learn how to put a comma and say, unless you come. Some people think because of the giftings that they have that they're going to do great things for God. But again, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what giftings you have. It doesn't matter your past. 
It doesn't matter even your present. God is looking at the heart. He's looking at people who want to be faithful to his word this morning. And this morning, you can be an incredible impact in your workplaces, in your family. You can be an impact in the grocery stores. You can be an impact out on the streets. If Jesus is with you this morning, amen? Let's go to the scripture. We're going to be in Revelations 3. I'm going to read verses 7 through 13. And then there are just three things that um, I just felt the Lord gave that we can pull from these texts that focus on Jesus, not on us. Amen? Amen. Revelations chapter, Revelation 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works, behold. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. In verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray again this morning that your word would just speak to our situations, God. We need you this morning. We pray that your truth, God, would break the lies that the enemy has spoken over our minds. Lord, I pray that you would make us a faithful church this morning, faithful in everything that you've equipped us and called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that we have to understand in order to be the faithful church is very simple. Jesus is the key holder. That's one of the first truths that's very powerful and something that we have to grasp this morning. Jesus is the key holder. Look what it says in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. When I used to, um, the elementary school that I grew up in, it was an elementary school, it was a middle school, and it was a high school. And I went there from preschool all the way to 12th grade. And when I turned 11, my mom uh, forced my brother and I, forced to get a job and start working. She said if we wanted good clothes and the jeans that we wanted, um, and they were more out of her price range, she said, get a job. So we got a job. And it was funny because I would work there during the school year, so as soon as school was done, I would run down to the dishroom, and I would wash dishes from all the three different lunches, and I would mop the floors. And during the summer, my brother and I would work there. And we had, we had many titles. We would mow lawns, we'd be raking, we'd be helping with new additions, we'd be weeding. Whatever the, church, whatever the school needed, we would do that. But when we were younger... In the old days, they had something called a master key. You guys remember that? Maybe you have it at work. Maybe you had it at the schools that you went to. But what, what did the master key do? It opened all the doors, right? 
So I went on uh, Amazon just as a little illustration. I want to show you this little key that I got. It's a little skeleton key. It'd be awesome if this was a master key, if this fit all the doors everywhere. But I remember when I was younger, we would have to go to the office to get something, and we would sometimes get the master key. And I remember I would go to the office, and they would hand it to me, and I would sit there just staring at it, thinking this opens up every single door (laughs) in the school. And so they would entrust me with it for that moment. They didn't give me my own yet. But they would give it to me if I had to go somewhere and get something and bring it back. But I always had to go to the main office to a lady uh, named Mrs. Duff. And she was in control of the master key. Which meant if it was missing, she'd know who had it. And and those old keys were metal. They opened a lot of doors. Um, If I lost the key, the problem was... With those metal keys, if I lost this and someone got a hold of it, that was big trouble because they'd have access to everything in the school. And so if someone lost the master key, they'd have to change the locks everywhere. So not only was it frustrating just from a a perspective of inconvenience, it was a costly error if someone lost the master key. It was a huge responsibility because the master key had access everywhere. Now fast forward years later, I've graduated high school and and, and got a job at a, it's a company that's known globally. And the company that I worked for had um, a high alert for people breaking in and terrorism and things like that. And so I worked as an armed guard at this place. And as you know, how many of you realize technology has changed? We didn't get metal master keys anymore we have what you would call access cards. And when someone was hired with the company, it was our job to not only defend the company if something happened, but it was our job to give access to people who got hired. And what was powerful is you took this little white card, you swiped it through a computer. Now, mind you, this company has over 3,000 employees. There's thousands of doors in this company. Doors everywhere. And we had the power to give access to each and every one of those doors. If someone got hired to a certain department, they had access to get into that area of the building, and that was it. They couldn't get in everywhere. But if you were a VP or if you were the CEO, the CEO got what you called an all-access card, which means he could go anywhere he wants in the company. But not everybody had that. What was amazing is if you were fired from the job and people got fired a lot, If they decided to hide their card and leave, all we had to do was click a button and that card became useless. They couldn't get back in and gain access to anywhere on the plant. If they allowed someone else to have access into an area, we could find out because the key card was designated for that specific person. And if we saw that someone else used it, an alert would come up on our computer right away and we would know. If I was somewhere on the plant and I lost my access card, so as an armed guard, I had a card right here on my chest. And I could go anywhere I wanted, but if for some reason I forgot it or left it in my card, I could radio to the main guardhouse, and just by going into the computers, they could click a button and unlock that door from wherever I was. There's a lot of power that comes when you have the key card. And this morning, I want you to understand that Jesus has the keys. He has the access to anywhere. He has the power and the authority over death and over life. And if we can get that, if we can understand what that means, 
then we can learn how to be a faithful church and have confidence in what God has called us and equipped us to do. Amen? In life, there are all kinds of doors that we can walk through. If we want to make an impact but only look to ourselves, it's going to get us to a certain point, but that's it. But if we look to the resources of Jesus, then we have unlimited access and resources into the will and the purposes of God. Amen? Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 23 says this, In that day I will carry my servant Eliakim to the house of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. Eliakim was the royal treasurer under King Hezekiah. He had a key that opened the vault that held the royal treasure. That'd be cool, huh? I don't know if any of you worked at a bank or have ever worked at a bank, but if you have an all-access card, you have access to a lot of money. And whoever it is that gave you that key or that access, they've put a lot of trust in you. But Eliakim actually had this key that opened up the vault to the royal treasure. He alone possessed authority to access those riches. And so if we want to be the faithful church that God has called us to do, he has a plan here in Providence, Rhode Island. He has a plan for the missionaries that we sponsor that are all over the world. And the enemy may come against us. He may come against you. But Jesus has the all-access card. He shuts doors that no man can open. And he opens doors that no man can shut. And if you feel that you're in a place where it's just you're facing impossibilities, you have to understand the enemy might try and tell you that he has access. But you have to know God's word and you have to be able to speak to him and say, you have no access and no more authority into my life. Jesus is the card holder. He has the key to everything and when we realize that, it just gives us that confidence to walk in what he's called us to walk in. Amen? Here in Revelation, the Father has handed the keys over to Jesus. But unfortunately in life, sometimes we hand over keys to people that we shouldn't. We have to be careful who you hand your keys over to. And I'm not talking about physical metal keys anymore. I'm not talking about plastic key card accesses. I'm talking about spiritual and mental cards. I had a friend who I decided to loan my car to just because I felt it's not my car and God, I want to I honor and be faithful. Now, I've loaned it out to certain other people, but this one friend took the car on a very long trip. And when he brought the car back, the car was not the same as it was before. All kinds of noises were coming out of it. And eventually the car broke down. And I remembered I was so frustrated. I knew this person. And it was one of those things where I, it was kind of my fault. Because I gave him the keys to the car. It's one thing if he came and took them. That'd be a whole different situation. But we have to be careful who we allow and give keys to. And who we give access to. How many of you right now have keys to your house? In your purse or in your pocket? How many of you would just go up to a stranger if this was the key in the street and say, here's the keys to my house? How many of you would do that? I mean, maybe, that, maybe you're that nice. Maybe you've got an Airbnb where you do have to give access to people 
who rent out your homes. But unfortunately in life, the enemy is always trying to get that access. He took that access away from Adam and Eve in the garden. He convinced them to, to give up what God had given them. They surrendered what God had given them. But thank God that Jesus came back and he took those keys back from Satan. And we can do what God has called us to do, not because of our own strength, but because he is faithful, because of what he has done. Amen? Girls and guys, be careful how many people you give access to your heart. Be careful what you're watching on TV and what you're looking at on your phones when no one else is looking. Because you are giving access to the enemy to get into your mind. There are some girls in here and some guys in here who've made many duplicates of the keys of their hearts. And there are many people who have them. You've given yourself away. Maybe you're in here and you're thinking of giving yourself away. You're in a relationship where maybe you're not sure if you're supposed to be in it and you're, you're kind of holding the key ready to give it to someone else. Be careful who you give access to in your life. Those watching on the live stream, be careful who you give access to in your life. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the key holder. And if you find yourself in a place where you just feel like you are not good enough, this church had very little, and yet it could make the greatest impact. Jesus is the key holder. Point number two, Jesus does not need much to make much. Jesus does not need much to make much. In fact, he can make something out of nothing. Think about that. When you walk outside and you look at the sun, you look at the stars, you see the sky, you see the trees, it literally was spoken into existence. Jesus doesn't need our resources. He doesn't need our tithes and offerings. He doesn't need our times of service. But he does use it for his glory and for his plans. He, could do, he doesn't need us. He could accomplish his purposes sometimes more, better without us. But he chooses to use us. And if we can surrender to him, if we can realize what God can do with the little that we have, we wouldn't be so quick to hold on to it or we wouldn't be so negative to keep shaming ourselves saying that I'm not good enough. Jesus does not need much to make much. Look what it says in verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He knew that they had little power. We just talked about how this church was in the place of one of the major highways that had access to other continents. And sometimes in our flesh, when God blesses us or we have an ability or someone keeps speaking to us good things, our heads kind of begin to swell and we think we can do good things for God. It's when we're in those places that God humbles us. We look and see what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember? He stood on the wall of his, his empire and he raised his hands and he said, look at all these things that I've created. And you know what God did to him? He humbled him in that moment. He said that his hair began to grow like an animal's hair. His nails began to grow. He turned into an animal and literally had to go and live in the woods for seven years, eating the grass like an animal. He lost his wisdom. He lost his authority. He lost his position. He lost his crown. 
because he was taking credit for what God did. But you have one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. When Nebuchadnezzar was restored, he stood on that same wall and he gave glory to God. God restored his mind. He restored his position. He gave his crown back. We live in a culture where people want to let you know how great they are. You know those people at your job who they want you to know and want you to let everyone else know how good they are, how fast they've made it to the top. I can't stand people who know their titles and use their titles. But God is looking for people with humility. Because when we can realize what little we have, but still give it to God, and maybe some of you have a lot, maybe God has gifted you with a lot, you still have to have that heart of surrender. And God will use the people who are the most humble. We talked about Moses during the time of worship. Moses was one of the most powerful people in the, in the scriptures. God used him for unbelievable things. God did unbelievable things through him, but you know what his title was? He was the most humble man on earth. If we can learn how to walk in humility, church, God will begin to use us in our nation and in our state and in our city and do great things through us. Amen? 1 Corinthians, I don't have it on this, the screen because I have it in a different um, version, and I just love this version. We've heard this, this scripture before, and if you haven't, you're going to hear it anyways. But I want you to listen to how powerful this is. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, it says, Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. I just love that, that version. Because sometimes we do think we're a nobody. But I want to encourage you this morning. Look at what you do have. Look at what God has given you. Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32 says this. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You guys have these little packages on your seat. I want you to get them out and hold them for a second. It says the scripture reference and the title of the message, but I want you to turn it over. Everyone should have a little seed in there. Do you guys see that? That's a mustard seed. I want you to look at that for a second. Isn't it unbelievable that if you put that in the ground and you water it, it can become one of the largest trees. This tiny little seed, God is using it as a parable to say it has a small beginning. It isn't much to look at now, but when it's planted, it becomes one of the largest trees and overgrows every other thing in the garden. And not only that, but it becomes a place of shelter and refuge for the birds of the air. 
Some of you may be looking right now at this little tiny seed, and that's what you, that's what you think you can offer to God. You look at your past, you see the mistakes that you've made, and you say, I've made so many mistakes, I can't make a great impact for the kingdom of God. Some of you guys look at your finances, and they say, they say you know what, my bank account is even smaller than this mustard seed right now. And you think, I can't make a great impact. God uses the smallest things and uses them for his glory. In, verse, in Matthew 17, verse 20, he said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Church, this is what he's speaking over us. If we have grain, if we have Faith, the size of mustard seed. He's not looking at the word little. He's looking at the word faith. So what he's saying is if we have enough true, genuine faith, then nothing will be impossible for us. We think we have to get this massive amount of faith and do all these things. And Jesus is saying is you have faith as tiny as this little seed, and it's real faith, you can tell a mountain to move from here to there, and nothing will be impossible for you. That means when you pray for healing over somebody, if you have enough true, genuine faith, even this side, then you're going to see healing in people's body. If you see someone who's being possessed and, and is dealing with a, 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 just a demon and they're causing all these kinds of things, because of the authority, because of this tiny little grain of faith, you can speak to that demon and it has to be silent and it has to be cast out because of Jesus, because of the authority. All we need is this much true faith. And nothing will be impossible for us. If we can wrap our heads around this, then we won't walk with our heads down anymore. We'll walk with our heads up in confidence, not in what we have, but in who Jesus is. Amen? The church in Philadelphia had a small amount of resources and ability. We can't look to our own ability and think we can make an eternal impact. But when we look to Jesus, his resources are unlimited. God used a staff to break the dominant empire of the Egyptians. When Moses had that encounter with God, what did he say? He said, take the staff that's already in your hand. He didn't, God didn't make this makeshift staff that was pure and holy. He said, take what's in your hand already. You may feel what you have is useless, but in the hand of Jesus, it can be used to break the empire of a nation. God used a cloud the size of a man's fist to bring rain to a dry and parched land. Jesus used a boy who was willing to give his lunch of five small loaves of bread and two fish to feed thousands. Jesus used untrained, unschooled, non-military young men to change the world and perform miracles over the sick and to bind demons in the name of Jesus. Jesus lifted up a poor widow who said, and she said, he said she gave more than every other rich person and she put in two tiny little coins. So even in your giving, you may feel like this is not making a difference. But in the hands of Jesus, it can change lives. It can change nations. It can change cities. It can change families. Don't look to your own resources. Don't feel that you have nothing to offer this church. Bring what you have, and God will use it, and he will multiply it, and you will make an impact for the kingdom of God. Amen? You may feel small. You may feel insignificant. You may feel poor. You may feel often overlooked. And in human eyes, this is grounds to think there is no possibility of significant impact. But in the eyes of Jesus, he is looking for a faithful church who is sold out and steadfast, and he will use them to make an eternal impact where they are. Amen?
We can make an eternal impact where we are here at Victory Church, here in the city of Providence, here in the state of Rhode Island, and here in our nation. Amen? So point one was Jesus is the key holder. Point two is Jesus does not need much to make much. And the last point is Jesus promises good to the faithful. Jesus promises good to the faithful. Have you ever got a place in your Christian walk where you felt like you've done everything and it's just, it's done nothing? Or you felt like you haven't done enough or you felt just beaten down? Jesus promises good to the faithful. And we see four promises in the next few chap, uh, verses in this section of scripture. The first promise is this. He promises their enemies would be humbled. In verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. So let me translate that another way. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Christians and are not, but lie. And behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So not only will he humble their enemies, he will expose fake Christianity. He exposes fraud. And unfortunately, there are people who think they are Christians right now. These are people who come to church. These are people who tithe. These are people who pray. And they literally think they're Christians, but they're not. Isn't it scary to think that Jesus himself said that people are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I have no idea who you are. Depart from me. And their argument is going to be, well, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles? And Jesus is going to say, I have no idea who you are. That verse always scared me. Because I haven't done anything that great yet. But if people can operate in the giftings and still miss out on Jesus, that's scary to me. So what does that mean? We need to be humble before Jesus. Let him expose every area of our lives. Let him into your marriage. Let him into your singleness. Let him into where you are. Let the Holy Spirit purge everything in you. And the person who allows this will be used for mighty things. This church was being faithful. And they might have said, we're a small church. We don't have a lot of resources. Sometimes it's so hard to watch other churches' live streams and to see the lights and the smoke and all the things that they're doing. Let me tell you this. The big churches aren't the only churches who can be effective. And sometimes we look at that in our nation. Sometimes we look at that. You may work for a small business and think, how can my small business make an impact in our community? The world teaches us the bigger you are, the more money you have, the greater impact you can make. While that may be in certain situations, when it comes to kingdom business, it doesn't matter how big you are. And this church could have said, we're the smallest, we're the youngest, we don't have many resources, we can't be used. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you're small, you have a main highway that's going through you, and if you can keep yourselves humble and remain firm to my word, I will use you to change nations. Jesus will expose the wolves in sheep clothing. He will expose those who are here to cause division. COVID did a lot of things, didn't it? We just, I don't even want to use the word celebrated. We just had the one year anniversary of COVID. Can you believe it? One year of things being shut down. One year of wearing these ridiculous pieces of fabric over our face. One year of, of missing out on finances. If you own a business, you've missed out on, on, on customers. One year where the world has suffered. 
But you know what I think Jesus used it for in the church? He's exposed a lot of people. People who are just coming just to come. Listen, if your roots don't run deep in Christianity, when persecution comes, you're going to drop things like the drop of a hat. Look at Peter. Peter told Jesus, I'll never, I'll never denounce your name. Jesus even told him. He gave him a heads up. And he said, I will never do that. And when the moment of persecution came, because if he said he knew Jesus at that time, he might have been crucified along with him. But in his flesh, he denounced and even brought down curses and says, I don't know that man. And it wasn't until he was filled with the Holy Spirit that he could speak out in boldness. Church, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We cannot stand for Christ in this world and in this culture without his spirit. Don't be ashamed and think, well, I've failed Jesus in the past. I've failed him in the past. But when we are filled with his spirit, then we can walk in that boldness and that confidence and that assurance of who he is. Amen? The second promise is he promises he will keep the church from worldwide tribulation. Amen, right? Those of you who are in our revelation class, amen, right? We're talking about these trumpets and bowls and, oh my goodness, what the world is going to go through during the tribulation they're going to wish that they could die and they won't be able to. It is going to be a horror show. But thank God he's coming to take the believers. Thank God that we're not going to get left behind if you are a Christ follower. And that's going to be a sad day when the rapture comes because that's going to be the greatest test of if you're a Christian. I don't want to be left behind. Do you want to be left behind? So if we are faithful to God, guess what? He promises that he will save us from worldwide tribulation. Amen? He says in verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Promise number three is he promises they would remain strong and secure. How many of you feel weak at times? Like we, everybody, how many of you feel weak at times? Some of you are still sitting there without raising your hand. Yeah, I see some of you. He promises strength to the faithful. In verse 12a, he says, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Pillars were the things that held things up. If you feel like you don't have strength, guess what? If you are faithful to God, he's going to make you a pillar. He's going to make you a pillar in your family. He's going to make you a pillar in your workplace. Amen? And the last promise is he promises them new ownership. Verse 12b, I will write on him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven in my own new name. This was interesting. When a slave was freed in the ancient world, he often kept the household name of his master and was even granted his master's social status. I want you to think of that. If you were a slave back in ancient days and you were released, with that name that you have, there wasn't much you could achieve in the, in, in the world as far as workplace. But if they were released, they would sometimes get the name of their master. If their master had a high social status, they could take that name upon them and use it to help them get a job, to use it to help them build up their family. You know what's powerful? We've been slaves to sin. But when Jesus sets us free, he puts a new name on us. And we get all the privileges and all of the authorities and all of the resources of heaven. When we are adopted into his family, we get all of that. I shared this before. When I was adopted... I lost my last name. My name used to be Kari Levon Williamson. And when I was adopted, my name changed. It became Michael Charles O'Brien. 
And with that came new privileges and new responsibilities. And what was powerful is when I had to before, when I was in the middle ground and I was in a foster home, I slept in a bed that wasn't mine. I ate out of the dishes that weren't mine. Other kids used them. Other kids came in and out. But when I was adopted, I got my own bed. I got my own sheet set. I had my own pillow. I had my own toys. I had my own room. And I had a family. When you get adopted into the family of Jesus Christ, guess what? You get grafted into all the goodness of the things of the kingdom. Jesus promises good to the faithful. He gives us a new name. Could you stand up with me as we pray? I want you guys to take this little packet with you today. Put it in your car, put it in your purse, put it in your pocket. And every time you think you can't do something for God because of your past, I want you to look at that little mustard seed. If God can design something so small that eventually can be planted and grow massive and be a shelter for his own creation, then how much more can he take the small amount of genuine faith that we can muster and use it for impossible situations? Take this with you wherever you go and let it be a reminder as you look at yourselves and realize that it's not about your resources. It's about God and his resources. Amen? Jesus is the key holder. He opens the doors and he closes the doors. Jesus does not need much to make much. What little do you have to offer Jesus? And lastly, Jesus promises good to those who are faithful. Unwavering faith in moments of tribula tribulation yield a harvest of eternal peace and joy with Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just move in your church. God, that you would fill us with your spirit. God, I pray for every person that's in this room, every person that's at home watching, those who are going to watch later, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. We pray that we would look to your faithfulness and not to our own. We pray for revival, God, through our church and in our church. We want you to move in a mighty way, God. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for your word this morning. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen and amen.